This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Hello, I'm Leah Lem. We're back with more conversations, more explorations about how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me. Today on the show, we're getting the latest news coming from the Bemidji Area Indian Health Service. I have the pleasure of sharing my conversation with Daniel Fry today, where we talk about vaccine distribution, COVID testing, restrictions loosening, and more including answering what has been learned that we'll take going forward. Daniel Fry is the Bemidji Area Director of the Indian Health Service and is a citizen of the Sault Ste. Marie Tribe of Chippewa Indians. But first, a quick catch-up. CDC guidance says fully vaccinated individuals can go without masks both indoors and outdoors. Governor Walls followed with an executive order ending the mask mandate in Minnesota. Businesses and cities can continue to require masks. There will be decisions that can be made by local businesses, by local jurisdictions, and certainly in the healthcare industry, as is, is relatively normal, people will continue to mask in some of those settings. Governor Walls continues to encourage unvaccinated folks to get vaccinated. I'm going to make my pitch again to Minnesotans. Those of you who aren't vaccinated, now's the perfect time. Get this done. Make sure you get it done. You can go without masks then wherever you want to go. You can make sure that you and others who aren't, and and please keep in mind, there are those amongst us, and especially our younger people that are not authorized to get the vaccine yet, and those that might be immunocompromised. They can't get the vaccine. And so if you're not fully vaccinated and you may be asymptomatic, we want to make sure we're protecting our neighbors again there. And now for my conversation with Daniel Fry, where we talk IHS, vaccines, and lessons learned going forward. Here's our conversation. Daniel, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My name is Daniel Fry. I'm the area director for the Bemidji Area Indian Health Service. Uh, I work with the tribes uh, from the Detroit edge of uh, eastern Michigan all the way to northwest of Minnesota. There's 34 tribes, six urban sites uh, throughout uh, Detroit, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis. Great, thanks. Uh, how is the Bemidji Area IHS doing with vaccine distribution? Yeah, vaccine distribution took a number of steps. Uh, starting very early on uh, when we got our first initial dose of Pfizer. This was the first uh, release after the EUA back in January or back in December. Um, we had uh, arranged with the U.S. Coast Guard to be able to move vaccine to all the tribes in the same day. Uh, we drove vaccine to the tribes for the frontline workers here in Minnesota, but then we flew it via the Coast Guard uh, to Wisconsin uh, and then into Michigan. The first four to eight weeks, I would say, was a slow trickle uh, of vaccine coming in. Uh, I think the tribes were uh, they were anxious to be able to get it out, to be able to get all their elders and get into their employees so they could reopen their businesses. By the time we got into uh, probably late February, late February going into March, that's when we began to see that there was increased vac- vaccines available for the tribes. 
Um, as we saw, the distribution really ramp up for Moderna and Pfizer across the country. Uh, and now we come to a position like today where last week we only had one of the 34 tribes actually order vaccine. Uh, so they can order now as much as they want. Uh, it's, uh, they, have a pot, they have a portal that they can go into. They have a, a vaccine point of contact for each tribe, for each urban site um, that has uh, elected to go with the Indian Health Service. And they can go in there and order the vaccine directly and have it shipped. Um, at this point, they, they've had enough on hand that most of them are not ordering. We did see a recent uptick in the Pfizer ordering this past week just because of the uh, new EUA for the 12 to 15-year-old age group. So we do anticipate seeing a good number of vaccines uh, being administered next week for that age group. So the decrease in demand for the vaccine in general is reflected in the requests received in your area? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, they got to the point where they had moved through all of their all of their tiers within the tribes. And the one thing that the tribes did uh, was really be that broader uh that broader bridge to the community to be able to vaccinate the community as well. Uh, we certainly saw it here in Bemidji um, where the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, um, they were almost solely responsible uh, for vaccinating uh, a three or four county service area because they they made a decision early on that they wanted to make sure that their, their citizens were protected by making sure that everyone around them was also vaccinated. So they had opened it up um, for uh, for anyone in the community um, pretty early in the process. Uh, and, and a lot of tribes across the area did exactly the same. They recognized that they had a, a role to play and that they were embedded in those communities um, from here all the way to Sault Ste. Marie and that they could be that partner. And that, that's why I, I think it was it was really awesome to see uh, the, the response from the tribal nations and the decisions that they made. Because once that vaccine uh, arrived in, in uh, on the reservations, the tribal councils had the flexibility to, to do what they wanted with the vaccine and set their own priorities. Um, and, and they all decided that they knew what they needed to do and that's get everyone around them vaccinated too, not just their own population. Right. So going back when you said vaccinating the community, you mean the community as in the, the region, the, the area, area. Yeah. that is served. Yeah, they yeah. want Anyone that, that had influence within the community, if you live there, if you work there, you know, it affected the, the reservations, it affected the tribal members. And they realized that if they're going to get to a position where they felt that they were comfortable trying to reopen up their businesses, it was everyone that had any influence on that that was going to need to be vaccinated as well. And some a lot of these tribes were in uh, communities that uh, have a lot of non-natives, non-beneficiaries, but they... They figured that if we're going to have any normal life, if we want to see that, if we want to open up our casinos, we need to vaccinate all those people around us too. And they made those decisions uh, pretty exclusively across the region. They said, this is this is what we need to do. And they moved forward with it. And then you mentioned also the uptick in the requests for the Pfizer vaccine due to the younger age groups being approved to receive that vaccine is there plenty available for anybody who wants it then in that age group? Yeah, we have we have no concerns at all being able to get vaccine. Uh, for instance, I had uh, I was working with the White Earth Tribe um, just earlier today. Uh, they were asking for some vaccine, and, and that wasn't an issue at all. We have some that's over at our Cass Lake Hospital, um, but also Bay Mills was was going to order some some Pfizer as well, um, and not to specifically you know say who's ordering what, but they can 
they can request what they need at this point. There's not going to be any issue getting getting the vaccine. And that's that's a reflection of the broader uh, demand across the country. We're seeing states in the South as well that are that are only allocating eight to ten percent of their of their weekly dose. Um, they're 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 letting the federal government keep the rest of it because they don't need it, uh, because the demand um, right now is not. Uh, or is uh, is not outpacing the supply. The supply is is plentiful, and basically, you can go get a vaccine where and when you need it at this point. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the demand side. Do you know how many in the sure in IHS's reach? What percentage are vaccinated? Uh, we can give um, we can give basic numbers, but it is hard to determine, right? So if we look, uh, for instance, in the Bemidji area, when the tribes first reported to us the number of vaccines that they would need, it was the number was about 150,000. That's who they thought that they were going to need to vaccinate. Uh, and that might include some of their tribal employees. It might include uh, people within their community, maybe the police force uh, that they wanted to vaccinate as well. Um, now we're, we're starting to approach um, that number and going past it. Uh, but the other thing that we can't account for is where the ones that we don't vaccinate, uh, they're going somewhere else to get vaccinated too, right? And not every tribe in our area um, received their vaccine through the Indian Health Service. Some received it through their state. And we don't have data on, on, those, uh, on those tribes because they're reporting it to the state immunization record base. So that's always been a bit of a, a trying to, to marry those two data points together too, that we've worked with these states uh, to make sure that we're trying to have this encompassing picture, um, but it's not always the, the easiest thing to splice to, to be able to have that, that full, you know, very easy picture to be able to look at. Darn. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really great to hear <laughs> that the locations have what they need. How about COVID rates? What are the, what are the rates looking like for IHS? Yeah, they're continuing to drop specifically for the Bemidji area. Um, we're now at, I think, right about 5%, 5.1%. Over the last uh, month, when we saw that surge in Michigan um, and a a spike here in Minnesota, um, we were seeing around 7% or 8%, but it never went back up to that point where it was 10, 15, where there was really high rates of transmission. Uh, And more so, we didn't see it in a lot of the rural areas. We saw it in some of our urban centers that were doing a lot of testing uh, across the broader community too. Um, but for the most part, it, it has stabilized. Uh, the vaccine uh, race is winning. You know, that's what we've been we've been hoping for is finally get to this position where we can say, yes, the vaccine uh, is winning and, and we can start to put some of these these COVID restrictions behind us and look at something, a life outside of COVID that looks a, a little bit more familiar. Yeah. Speaking of which, do you have a comment on the updates to the mask mandate? Yeah, uh, it was uh, unexpected that it was going to come out yesterday. We were actually all in, in Detroit, a, a large number of my team doing a mass vaccination event um, when the news came across. Um, so we, we did have some discussions about it uh, last night. And, and then this morning I, I spoke with, uh, with the agency leads and, and to see where we were. And then HHS had put out a statement um, for us that um, if we are fully vaccinated, that we do not have to wear our masks now in our federal workplace. Um, so I'll be communicating that with our with our sites. Uh, we, we run three federal sites up here in, in Bemidji for Leech Lake, Red Lake, and White Earth. And we'll move forward with the HHS uh, guidance. This was the, this is really the big carrot that everyone was looking for. Uh, we've been wearing a mask now for what we're on month 15 probably. 
and we're getting into a warmer season and we're coming out of respiratory illness season. And I think people were, were getting anxious to be able to see some smiles again. Um, so I, I, I do agree with the, with the decision. Um, but now it'll be, you know, there's going to be a lot of honor system now, right? Because there's going to be some places that are going to say, well, we still want to have uh, you wear your mask, but how are people going to enforce that when there's no vaccine passport um, or anything of that nature? So I'm curious to see how the next week looks like um, as, as entities and different companies try to, uh, try to make their own decisions on this. Um, but I, I do think it was, it was the right call as we're moving into the summer months. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. I'm speaking with Daniel Fry, Bemidji Area Director of the Indian Health Service. We're discussing the latest from IHS. Let's get back to the conversation. Okay, so kind of looking forward a little bit and on sort of a similar subject. Um, so given what we've learned about masks and how they've helped decrease the spread of COVID, do you think we'll be going to 2019 business as usual ever again? Or uh, maybe some sort of mask normalizing? Yeah, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you my opinion on that because I, I have put quite a bit of thought into it. Uh, I have to conclude that no, we, we won't. Uh, 2020 really showed that there's that we can be flexible. We can be flexible in the way that we work, but we also have to be very careful about how we make sure that we're managing our staff, managing workforce, managing workload. It'll be different after the fact when we're in a when we're still doing some telework because there'll be opportunities for people to get out of their out of their houses and and still be able to have a social life outside. This past year was difficult because you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't do anything, and that affected your mental health as well. So you couldn't go out and have those, those, those social networks. But even for my workforce, and I, I've, I've given this, to, uh, this message to my staff, is that we are going to be flexible after this. Uh, I recognize that I do not need everyone here in the building uh, to continue to do their work. Uh, of course, it's, it's different for our, our actual healthcare centers, our hospitals. Uh, their jobs necessitate that they're on site because that's how you deliver patient care. Um, but even within those positions, you recognize some don't necessarily need to be on site. Your coders, your billers, they can do these things remotely. So you're looking at the flexibilities to be able to, to come into the new age. Everyone always wants to, they, I get asked quite a bit when we go back to normal, and I keep telling them that, that normal is gone. I mean, what we saw before the pandemic um, will no longer exist after the pandemic. It'll just be how we adapt to what we've learned uh, throughout this process. I saw a cartoon yesterday with like a, a woman holding her phone and some sort of instrument trying to like um, do um, oral surgery on her husband and like the dentist or the surgeon was like trying to give her directions. <laughs> uh, that's a beautiful representation. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. So this last year, well, I have a, seven-year-old so usually I have like six colds in a year but I've never been so not sick in a year and I consider myself really lucky you know working remotely and all that stuff and I'd like to ask a bit about 
externalities related to this last year during the pandemic? Have there been other issues popping up or actually not popping up? Like flu rates, hospital visits? Yeah. Yeah, one thing that we saw pretty much flatline was was the flu. There, the, we really didn't have a flu season, and this should really make us pause and think that as we go into respiratory illness season, uh, we should be more conscientious conscientious of how we do wear masks. Prior to the pandemic, there wasn't a large contingent of people that wore masks. I, I wasn't one of them, um, but like you, I also. I didn't get sick. And my, my daughter, my, my two-year-old daughter was still going to daycare. But even there, we recognized that they, they weren't bringing as much home. It's because everybody that was around and bringing the kids, um, they were all wearing masks. And then if a kid was, was feeling ill, they just didn't go to daycare. Right? It was a pretty hard line. You're not going anymore. You're, you're staying home. So I, I do hope that as we transition into uh, into the fall, when we get back into a next uh, winter season and we're back into observing uh, respiratory illnesses that people do take serious that we can protect ourselves and others by continuing these these simple safe practices, wear a mask, um, wash your hands, uh, because COVID is likely going to be around for a while. Um, we're going to be dealing with this and, and it won't be completely predictable until we get through another couple winter cycles to see what we're actually dealing with. Um, we've gotten through one, and we saw that that was a that was a huge surge. It was difficult. Hospitals were overrun, um, but now we need to prepare. We learned our lessons, and now we have the proliferation of vaccines. Um, so it's likely that um, some will learn their lesson, but I, I I would hedge my bet to say that others won't, and we will still see some of those other illnesses start to spike, like the flu as well. Gotcha. And wow, normalizing staying home when you're sick too you know, at school and in the workplace, especially if you can do things remotely, <laughs> you know, take that sick time. <laughs> there was too much, uh, there was too much sentiment in America that we need to be at work no matter what. And now we certainly understand that if you are sick, I don't want to be around you because I don't want to be sick. So just stay home. We don't need you here. If, if you're coughing and sneezing everywhere, take care of yourself. Um, let's have the rest of us be healthy too. Great. I always love talking about, you know, when we go through a tough time, what do we take from it? What do we learn from it? So have there been learning outcomes in the past year for IHS in Bemidji area? Yeah, I've certainly learned a lot, um, both personally uh, and professionally. Uh, I'll start with, um, with personally. You know, certainly I, I've learned how to to manage uh, a life where you're, you're used to a more robust travel schedule, you're used to going and, and doing, but then you are managing all that time at home with, with your wife and kids and how you can still be productive at home, um, you, whether it's home projects or whatever new hobby that you may find yourself into, uh, new cooking classes that you can watch online, um, and all the do-it-yourself projects that you didn't think you could do, but then you found yourself having the time. Um, professionally, uh, what really stuck out to me is that my, when I came into this job in 2019, I assumed it was going to take me three to five years to really network and be able to build the trust of the tribes, of local entities, of my federal colleagues through FEMA, uh, CDC. This pandemic sped that up. And the only reason it sped it up is because we worked together. 
what we did was live drills, right? We went through a global pandemic and we had to figure out how do we resource masks, gloves, um, N95 rest respirators? How do we prepare for a mass vaccine distribution? These are all things that you can prepare for. And as we go forward, as the pandemic starts to abate and we get maybe a decade into the future, these are things that we can't forget, that we need to be prepared that this could hit at any time. Uh, we go back to 2019 when it was first coming out of Wuhan and maybe many people were thinking, well, maybe this is like SARS or maybe this is like MERS, where it's really not going to have that, that lasting global impact where everyone's going to feel it and it's going to be a shutdown. Now we can prepare for that because we know what happens and we don't want to live through this again. Uh, so it, it's really taking those drills that we do seriously, working with the local entities, working with your local community resources and, and health divisions uh, and county health departments, state health departments to say, we need to practice this on a, on a routine basis so that when it, if something does happen, and maybe it's not a pandemic, uh, maybe it's something else, some other natural disaster that we can respond very quickly to. And it doesn't just have to be FEMA, right? It can be, it can be IHS because IHS, I think, uh, figured out that we could be a pretty good response agency too, which was, uh, you know, just put on good display when we were in Detroit giving a mass vaccination um, with uh, staff from here in Minnesota. And we had staff from Michigan, uh, Nottawa Seppi Band, uh, City of Troy, and our urban clinic down in Detroit. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, the mass vaccination event in Detroit? It was actually... Um, um, pretty neat, actually. I, I got a call, must be six weeks ago now, from um, the chief medical officer of the agency, uh, Dr. Uh, Tote, who since retired. Uh, he was uh, on a meeting with uh, the, the White House, the administration, and this was at the point where Michigan was seeing its, its, uh, its next surge. They were averaging six to 7,000 new cases a day. The hospitalization rates were going up. Uh, so they asked what local resources the agencies within HHS had. And um, Admiral Tote had, had a reference that Bemidji has a pretty good team. Uh, they cover the state of Michigan and they could probably get in there and, and help. So I got a phone call from, um, from Admiral Tote uh, on a Monday evening. And he said, hey, we're, we're, could you throw, uh, could you get to Michigan and get some, some vaccines uh, administered? And I said, yeah, I, I, I could probably figure that out. Um, so I asked him, I said, well, what are you looking for me to do? Um, is this a, just a one shot or, or he goes, one shot would probably be fine. So I ordered 5,000 doses of Johnson and Johnson. And I said, I'll find a place to do it and I'll work with, with, the, with the team to do it. So I had connected with uh, our uh, American Indian and, and Family Services uh, urban clinic down in Detroit. I had um, asked them if they had a, a good place that they might be able to, to do this at because they just run a small clinic out of a very old church in Dearborn, Michigan, 120-year-old church. So they actually connected me with the city of Troy, and they gave us their, which is a northern suburb of Detroit, and they gave us their community center for two days. Well, then, of course, the pause of Johnson & Johnson happened in the middle of all of this. So we had to pivot very quickly uh, to Pfizer, which meant now we're going to go twice. So our our two or three week plan turned into what would a what was a six week plan, you know, ending basically today. Um, but the biggest challenge for us was that it, when we're here, when we're doing our mass vaccinations here, we also have all of our ancillary staff to do the data entry. That's a very big piece of this. So we had sent all the all the vaccine to the Detroit Urban Clinic, which does not have the capabilities to enter all of this data. 
So we had actually uh, partnered with the state of Michigan. Uh, if they, if we transferred the vaccine to them, would they be willing to then host the vaccine and then enter it into their um, uh, immunization database? And they were very happy to do so because then they got um, credit uh, for the vaccines and we came in and actually administered um, the vaccination. So it was actually Oakland County uh, in Detroit area that, that took in the vaccine for us and was actually the host of the vaccine. And so they were also one of our partners in making sure we got this accomplished. Wow, very good. Uh, you mentioned personally finding new hobbies or projects. Did you find a new hobby or a new project during your time? <laughs> um, I, I did realize that I my, my skills at home improvement are actually better than I would have expected. Um, I, I did uh, some new flooring uh, that I, I put in, ripped up the, the carpet myself and put in the new flooring myself. Um, it's really amazing what YouTube videos will do. It's the confidence that the YouTube videos give you too, because they make it look so easy. And then you realize that the mistakes start to happen. Uh, but if you're patient enough and you just keep going at it, that, that you can get those things uh, accomplished yourself. So it was really more on the home improvement side uh, the, that I, I started uh, tinkering around at, at home and realized that actually it's not that bad. And it was, it was kind of fun. Great. That's a good lesson for many areas of life. So, <laughs> yes, it is. It certainly is. Just just keep trying, and mistakes are going to happen, and keep going. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for taking time to talk for Minnesota Native News. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, I always appreciate this, and I'm happy to chat anytime. Miigwech, Daniel, for taking the time to talk. Daniel Fry is the Bemidji Area Director of the Indian Health Service and is a citizen of the Sault Ste. Marie Tribe of Chippewa Indians. Thank you for listening today, Chimigwech. The world has gone through and continues to navigate this pandemic, and we've learned a lot. So what lessons can we continue to use going forward? Keeping our distance when feeling sick, masking up, and more... We're equipped with more tools now to react, to help keep one another just a bit more healthy. Also, I want to share some information that might be helpful for you and your family. Renter's assistance is now available through the state of Minnesota in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Through the program called Rent Help Minnesota, People who have past due rent are eligible to apply for rental assistance, utilities assistance, and help with upcoming rent. Eligible Minnesota renters can receive help with rent and utility bills going back to March 13th of 2020. If you qualify, you could receive assistance for up to 15 months total. And Rent Help Minnesota can also help people who are eligible with utility bills such as gas, electric, water, sewer, garbage, and recycling. Some tribal governments have their own rental assistance programs, so if you are already connected to services through your tribe, contact them directly. To find out more about our state program and to apply for help, visit renthelpmn.org. That's renthelpmn.org. You can also find help by calling 211 or by texting your zip code to 898211. That's 898211 and text your zip code. Gigawapamin and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem.
Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.